wrapping up a week in sunny Miami, Florida. This is Raw Tools. Thank you so much for joining in wherever you may be. Sully Angles from KAKE-TV in Wichita, Kansas will be joining us today. Kansas, the state where people live. If life is about the friends you make along the way, we had a wonderful time in Miami. Shout out to Travis, the guy who speaks French. I met at my friend's apartment complex in downtown Miami. Love that guy. I have another friend who lives near downtown. Uh, lived there for several years. One of my best friends from high school. He has a family now. Uh, his name's Jack. And my friend Jack always tells me he loves the city of Miami. He loves the culture. Uh, but the one thing that stands out to him is the young people, people our age, uh, particularly the single ones. Everyone tries a little bit too hard, whether it comes to fashion, social media. Our generation, you know, millennials and Gen Z, we, we tend to flaunt things quite a bit. It's the influencer effect, and I saw it firsthand several times. I spent Sunday in Coral Gables at this botanical garden, and I saw multiple photo shoots going on. One in the rainforest section and one near the big lake at the center of this garden. Uh, these were not wedding photos. This was very much uh, an influencer-type vibe. It was weird. There was something off-putting about it. And I say all this to set this up. Can we apply this trying too hard metaphor to the University of Texas and its hiring of head football coach Steve Sarkeesian? Bear with me on this. Sark's been the coach for 10 games now this year. Texas currently on a five-game losing streak. And in the following monologue, I want you to keep these two questions in mind. Is Texas trying too hard by trying to keep up with the Joneses and being trendy and hiring a Nick Saban assistant-turned-coaching-rehab project from Alabama? And secondly, is the media, including yours truly, trying too hard by continuing to insist that Texas is relevant? The Longhorns are in a weird pickle right now, and really imposed a lot of this outside criticism on themselves when they fired Tom Herman last year. But if you don't know, we're kicking off this monologue and this show by celebrating an historic moment in history. The Kansas Jayhawks have won a football game. But not just any football game. They've already, they had already won one game under first-year head coach Lance Leipold. But they won a second. Christmas didn't just come once this year, it came twice. And for Kansas, sometimes Christmas doesn't come at all. It's like celebrating Christmas in Saudi Arabia. It doesn't happen. The University of Kansas beat Texas 57-56 in overtime. In the entire history of the rivalry, it is the first time that KU has won in Austin. I'll set all this up. I did not witness it live. Popped about 20 milligrams of melatonin Saturday night. I was super dog-tired, had spent Friday in Orlando. 
I was praying and praying that the game would not go to overtime. It did. I passed out. But I wake up from a Snapchat from one of my good friends, listens to this show, KU alum. I won't call him out by name, but suffice to say he was stoked that KU won. He said he was going to a gentleman's club to celebrate Kansas's win. That's an important detail that we'll get to later in this monologue, but I'm setting all this up. 57-56 overtime win. Kansas wins on a two-point conversion after a touchdown. Lance Leipold says he's going for it. Win or go home. Two-point conversion is successful into the hands of a walk-on freshman tight end taking his first snaps on offense this year goes by the name of Jared Casey from Plainville, Kansas. That is a real town that exists. And we can act like this is an historic moment in history. I love it for Casey. I mean, he just went down as a college football legend. But really, this is only the 20th time that Kansas and Texas have played each other. The rivalry goes back to 1901, but really 1996 is when these teams started playing each other semi-regularly. Then you had those years when the Big 12 was divided into North and South divisions. So while it is a big deal for a low-level program like Kansas to beat a quote-unquote traditional marquee program like Texas, the impact isn't huge. Texas leads the all-time series 16-4. to And again, I love it for Casey. I love it for Leipold. I love it for this program. I'm always going to root for the underdog. And I couldn't help but wonder... If Texas got caught with its pants down, chasing trends, bringing in Sark, when the situation didn't really warrant it. Even Tom Herman didn't stoop this low. He recruited, he had talent, never lost to Kansas. Came close that one year against Les Miles, but there is a dramatic difference between a slight win over a one-win Kansas team and losing to a one-win Kansas team. There was no momentum under Herman, and after 2020, it seemed like the university had reasonable grounds to let him go, Uh, but the program had standing on its own two feet. But what appears to be the song and dance in Austin is that the boosters get involved at Texas, and there's no going back. They wanted a change in leadership. They got it. But, But say it out loud for a second. Texas fired Tom Herman for the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hire Steve Sarkeesian? Break it down this way. Sark is in his seventh full season as a head coach, and he's won 55% of his games. It's not bad. It's not great, either. It's not a powerhouse, blue-blood program level. Six full seasons as head coach between Washington and USC. Never won a division title. So we're in Sark's seventh full season as a head coach. And you got to wonder, is this who he is? 500 coach, second or third in your division, maybe fourth best record in the conference, even worse now. How much does that Nick Saban internship tutelage pedigree work? Like Sarkeesian may be a a glorified OC, a really good play caller, but maybe not the figurehead you want for your university's football program, and that's fine. Perhaps he could have thrived at a group of five school, or maybe back in the Pac-12. But this season is coming off the rails. The internal struggle has actually become a meme. There's a video circulating. I would love to play some of the audio. 
uh, allegedly defensive line coach Bo Davis ripping into his players after a loss. This is real! Do you mother need to get in the transfer portal? You want to go? Get in the mother This shit ain't a game to me! If you think it's a game, get the off of this box! I got my ass kicked! And you mother you think it's a goddamn joke? And some of you motherfuckers do transfer That audio was recorded by a player and leaked to the media. And there are many theories as to why this happened. Some people will cite the softness of the program. I would say that that player in particular is not taking the coach and the message seriously because that's traditional football speak. That's how coaches talk. It was also kind of sad. You have to ignite your players by negative energy, by leaning into them in week nine or 10. And then there's that whole thing with special teams. Coach Jeff Banks left his wife for an adult entertainment dancer goes by the pseudonym of Pole Assassin. That's right, P-O-L-E, Pole Assassin. And this would be all well and good and under the public radar, if not for on Halloween, Pole Assassin's emotional support monkey named Gia allegedly bit a child who was trick-or-treating at her home. That's why I said, the downfall of Texas begins and ends at a gentleman's club, from pole assassin to celebrating a Jayhawks win. And if you're saying, Luke, this is all well and good, but Texas's season is starting to sound like an SNL sketch. It gets so much worse. Apparently, Monday, Horns Illustrated, I believe this is who it was, and if it wasn't, please feel free to correct me, but Horns Illustrated, a credentialed media outlet that covers the University of Texas Athletics asked this question to Steve Sarkeesian. Good morning to you, Coach Sarkeesian. Good morning. Coach, a couple of years ago, one of my good friends and I were faced with a massive problem we couldn't solve. And in his wisdom, he said, you know, at this point, we need to stop and ask ourselves, what would an extraordinary person do in this situation? And this resonated with me the whole weekend. And I realized that of all the coaches who could be standing at that podium right now in those shoes, you are that extraordinary person. And you have a team of what I call coaching juggernauts. This is not only my opinion, this is a fact. I don't think anyone could dispute this. So my question as we write you know, the Sarkeesian era story, we're not even done with the first chapter yet, can you unfold some of the onion of what are you working on? How are you solving this problem? I realize that you might not even know, but you know, I'm gonna steal from Julian Edelman. It's gonna be one hell of a story. <coughs> Yeah, I think, I think, first of all, <laughs> this is awesome. Hook em. Another week of NFL football is in the books, so what do we guys like to do? We'll power rank the top 10 teams in the league. Yeah, yeah! Here we go. Here is Luke's top 10. 10. The Chiefs, are they back? Maybe. 41-14 route of the Raiders. They're back atop the AFC West. Patrick Mahomes with his best game at QB by far. 35 of 50 with 406 passing yards and five touchdowns. Looks pretty good. 
nine. Here's a new entry, the Colts. They're a 500 team, and no, they're not gonna win their division this season, but they've held everyone close this year. Jonathan Taylor, great at running back, had a 100-yard game on Sunday, plus a touchdown. Uh, defense and special teams coming up in the clutch helped them beat Jacksonville. Eight. Tampa Bay, uh, they seem like a shell of themselves and they keep falling in these rankings. Back-to-back -back losses to the Saints and Washington football team. Seven. At seven, I have the Rams. Uh, this is a weird one. Flambeed by the 49ers on Monday Night Football. Matt Stafford making some poor decisions, two more interceptions at quarterback. Uh, and OBJ, surprise, surprise, not making a difference in his first game in LA. Six. The Cardinals. This loss I can forgive. Lost by 24 to the Carolina Panthers. They didn't have Kyler Murray at quarterback. They didn't have DeAndre Hopkins at wide receiver. There are going to be peaks and valleys in a season, even for a Super Bowl contender. And I think the Cardinals are that. But this is something they'll shake off and laugh about three weeks from now. Five. Here they come. The New England Patriots. Second best point differential in the league. And they might have the best if they keep taking it to teams like they just curb stomped Cleveland 45-7 in Foxborough this past weekend. Four. The Bills. This is more what I'm used to seeing. They had that embarrassing loss to Jacksonville, uh, but then nothing like the redemption game against the lowly New York Jets. And get this, Buffalo has given up the fewest points in football this season. Bills at four. Three. These next three I'm pretty confident in, starting with Green Bay. Uh, props to shutting out Russell Wilson for the first time ever. That 17-0 victory over the Seahawks was great. Uh, good on the Packers for finding a way to win, even when it wasn't all there on offense. Two. Speaking of the inverse, a masterclass on offense, the Dallas Cowboys. A routed Atlanta, beat the Falcons by 40, and on defense they've got so many dynamic playmakers. Trayvon Diggs with his eighth interception of the year. One. Once again, it's the Titans at one. Tennessee's won six straight, held the line against New Orleans. As of right now, November 16th on a Tuesday, the road to the Super Bowl goes through Nashville. Titans at one. My guest today is a sports reporter at KAKE-TV in Wichita, Kansas. Before that, he was at KSNT-TV in Topeka. You might also remember him as a Division II baseball player at Cal State Chico or Chico State. These days, he's covering Kansas, University of Kansas Athletics, K-State, and Wichita State. It's Sully Angles. Sully, welcome to Raw Tools. How you doing? Hey, I'm doing well, man. Yeah, thank you for the uh, D2 baseball relief pitcher shout-out. You know, that's really where I, I hang my hat. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to recognize that. And thanks for having me on, man. Looking forward to it. Right-hander or left-hander? I was a righty. You know, if I was a lefty, uh, maybe I'd be playing some pro ball. But, uh, you know, that's just how it goes either way. But, yeah, I was, uh, you know, relied on my slider. had like a high 80s fastball on my best day. And, you know, that's pretty much what D2 baseball is. A casual high 80s fastball, which is so much more impressive than some of us slouches and <laughs> small private high schools who threw maybe 56, 57 on a good day. Um, Throwing strikes is the most important thing, you know. That's what they say. But when those strikes go really far, I remember <laughs> – uh, Tate Matheny hitting just bombs off of my team, uh, Mike Matheny's son back in the day. Wow. Yeah. There's a, you know, when you see guys at that level, 
that are going to be that good. It's, it's kind of one of the scariest things, but I, you know, I've been there too. So no worries about that. Even if you weren't a left-handed finesse pitcher, you were still intimidating to some of those guys up in NorCal. So it's an honor to have you on. And Sully, I always remember your birthday. You know why? I believe is it the same as yours? It is my birthday, May 29th, right? Yes, sir. That's the one. And uh, I believe it's also Tyler Jones's birthday as well. So May 29th for, for goats only. Carmelo Anthony, also <laughs> a May 29th guy. Gemini's. Oh, yeah. Gemini are just, the, it's the superior um, astrology sign. It's the superior zodiac. So a lot of things yeah. in common we have, even outside of the whole sports industry, um, talking over highlights type thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the Gemini gang is a strong one. I don't know much about astrology, but I know Gemini is the best. And as you mentioned, a couple of elite names right there. So, I mean, no other birthday I'd rather have. JFK, um, Jason Allison, former Boston Bruins, great yeah, um, I always I always love because Gemini have so much personality and I pride myself on that, too. If you ever want personality out of someone, whether a friend or a partner or anything, I have multiple. And that's the greatest <laughs> thing about Gemini. Absolutely. I mean, you come with that extra sauce, no matter which personality you're getting, it's going to be a good one. Did you say extra sauce. Oh, yeah. Extra sauce, man. Hmm. Is that an L.A. thing or just a cool, hip thing to say? I, think, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm cool or hip, but uh, it's something I say from time to time. You know, you always got to have the sauce either way. You know who's both cool and hip? Jared Casey, walk-on freshman tight end for oh, KU yeah. football out of Plainville, Kansas, which I haven't looked up to make sure is a town that actually exists, but I'm pretty sure it does. Because if you pointed to any spot on the map in Kansas, you'd be like, yeah, that's definitely Plainville. So Jared Casey gets his first few snaps on offense Saturday night against Texas, makes the sliding catch on a two-point conversion in overtime for KU's first win ever in Austin over Texas. And this is some Mighty Ducks, Bad News Bears type shit. But what was your biggest takeaway from Saturday's upset win over Texas? Yeah, you know, first off, shout out to Plainsville. That, that's a part of Cake Land. What, you know, we talk about on Cake News is like our, you know, viewing area. Um, and so, yeah, I think the biggest thing, obviously, the, the monumental occasion of the win um, and just how big that was, not only for that program, but all of Twitter and all of social media, just all getting to be able to roast the horns down and all that good stuff. But I'd say the biggest like takeaway from the game for me was Jalen Daniels, you know, the quarterback for KU. That dude is legit. And, you know, Jason Bean has been starting most of the year for the Hawks, but had Daniels not been hurt in training camp or preseason, he probably would have been the starter. You know, he was supposed to redshirt this season just because of they wanted to be able to keep him for however many years they could. But he looked like an absolute dude last night. And I think his composure and his swagger, along with Devin Neal, just showing why he is the highest rated recruit to ever go to the Jayhawks, those two dudes really were the storyline for me. And it's got to be a great thing for Kansas fans. That's your future, man. And, and it's looking as bright as, as probably it ever has at this point. We're seeing some diamonds in the rough shine. You mentioned Bean. You mentioned Daniels. A lot of the credit, I feel, has to go to Lance Leipold in his first year mm -hmm. as head coach. Was not expected to be a hire at all. I mean, this was a, a tragic situation with less miles in the state of the team that they had to bring in someone this April. Uh, but you look at his resume, six Division three titles at Wisconsin Whitewater. He was a 500 coach at Buffalo but is Leipold the guy of the future at KU? Yeah, I think, you know, 
especially after win last night, it's easy to have an overreaction and think like, okay, this is absolutely the guy going forward. And you hope that he doesn't turn these guys around and gets poached too quickly. But even without that, I think just the, the way he handles himself, you know, whenever we've been able to talk to him, the way he approaches the game, the way he approaches building a program, like you mentioned Buffalo, you know, they were never an outstanding team, maybe until last year when they kind of had, you know, their full complement of talent that he brought in. But to take that program, which was, you know, at historic lows, maybe not as low as KU because they're on a part five school, but, but still not a very good team. And to take them where they went, I think shows that he has the blueprint to do this. And obviously doing it at a lower level than division one is always difficult because recruiting is just always going to be so much harder, especially in Wisconsin. Um, you know, all the talent's going to go to the Badgers. I'm not saying that, that there isn't talent in every state, but there's definitely less up North. My whole family's from Minnesota. So I can say from experience, but I think he just has the right vibe to him. And I think the players are so bought in. That's the biggest thing is, you know, Les Miles was, was so flashy and it's a name and it's like, you know, yeah, you get that call, you get that visit to the living room. That's one thing. But once he was there, you know, what's he going to do? And, and can he develop guys and can he do this and can he do that? Lance Leipold has proven that he can get guys on campus and get guys to buy in and that his program works and you're seeing it because not only you know it may not only just one win so far in the big 12 when you talk to coordinators throughout the conference they all talk about how much better they look on film and how much better they're getting week to week Mm -hmm. you mentioned the historic levels of low that this kansas jayhawks program has been through really hasn't been relevant on the national scene since 2007 several years without conference wins what is the patience level with leipold I think it's pretty high. You know, I, I think they understand that you, know, you have a lot of coaches come in and out the last couple of years for KU. None of them, I think, had the kind of reputation and background for building and turning around a program that he has had. So they're going to give him, you know, as much time as he needs to build this. Because to a certain degree, it's like, how much worse can it get? You know, as long as this guy is, is a stand-up dude and this guy is building something, at least just small increments, I think you're going to get as much time as you want. And it takes a while to, you know, turn around KU, especially because of all the recruiting woes they've had, the infractions they had that cost some players on the roster. They're finally kind of getting back into full strength. And I think that's the biggest thing for them is when they do fill out and they figure out everything that they need and, and get all the pieces in there, things are really going to start getting going for them. And I think it's nice because they already had the quarterback and running back scenario fit together. Now it's just kind of bringing in the rest of that and, and making it go from there. How much worse could it get? Great slogan for KU Athletics moving forward. Um, This game also served as quite a wake-up call for any Texas Longhorns fans who were still holding out hope for a happy ending to Steve Sarkeesian's first year as head coach. I mean, how much of an indictment was this performance, losing at home to Kansas for Sark and that program? It's hard. I mean, there is literally nothing worse you can do in Big 12 football than to lose to Kansas at home at, at this point, you know, and it may change in the next couple of years, kind of what we were just talking about. But at, at this time, that's literally the worst thing you can do. And the way they lost to, I think, it is even more kind of a, a shot to the heart for them, you know, to, to make that comeback and then have, you know, Lance Seipold kind of, you know, go a real grown man move. I'm going for two. You know, I'm here to win a ball game. I'm not planning to just continue to tie and get it on you the way they got it. It's tough. You know, Sark, I think, is going to get a little time, but I would say more than anything that the Longhorn fans are probably missing Tom Herman right now. 
because they may not have got back to that elite, elite level, but at least they're consistently good. And, and they haven't been able to do that or look the part at least this season at all. So I think his leash is getting tighter by the day, but he still has a little time to figure it out. That's such a great point. There, there's just no momentum with Texas right now. And there wasn't really at the end of Tom Herman's tenure, but at least you wouldn't stoop to this level, not even in year one. It just seems like, why would you cash in all your chips for Steve Sarkeesian? Like he was not the next big thing. He just won the Broyles award because he was at Alabama. This wasn't a glowing endorsement of him as a person or as a coach. It was just him and the matter of the circumstances that he was in. It just makes no sense. Yeah. It's a really a weird thing. I, I think it was a weird hire. You know, it's, it's easy to think that, okay, that, that, you know, Saban coaching tree is always going to produce winners, but at the same time, you need to kind of have your own self-reflection. Like you look at the offense he had, the talent he had, the years he was there. I mean, you or an I could have just, you know, played, you know, NCAA football 2014. And I don't think it would have gone that poorly. You know, like we could have just kind of plugged in whatever's got to go and run with that. So it's a weird deal. And, you know, he's kind of really hanging his hat on right now. Like, you know, we're cleaning house. We're getting the guys to stay here that want to be here, that believe in this program, believe what we're doing. You know, you had the video come out this week of their, I believe it was like defensive line coach screaming at the kids on the bus, which I was a fan of, you know, it was kind of a nostalgic moment for me being uh, screamed at, you know, I'd been in that situation before. I was like, ah, that's heartwarming. But obviously it's, it's also says something about the program where like, if you're getting aired out on a bus like that, things are not going too well. You know, that's kind of the situation where like you're at the, the ends of your program for the season and you know, things are not going to get better. So you choose to now just blow these kids up, which is not the worst thing. Sometimes it works, but in this case, obviously you saw a few days later, it's, it's not working. That was allegedly the voice of D-line coach Bo Davis in that video. Yeah. I'll make, make a note to, to mention that um, in this podcast. But for that to happen this late in the season means that Emperor doesn't have any clothes. Like, this season is, is lost. Yeah, it's shot. And, you know, two games left, two chances. Obviously, you need to win both to, to be bowl eligible. I don't know that they do that. You know, I think that final game at Kansas State, the way Kansas State is playing right now is not a game that they're going to win. And I I think that there's going to be a lot of unhappy fans throughout Texas, especially in Austin, about the way they performed in his first year. And the thing is, is they're not significantly better next year. I think Sark would have a pretty short tenure with the Longhorns. That's a great segue to my next question. Kansas State currently the longest win streak in the Big 12. What's working for them? I think obviously, you know, having Skylar Thompson go down for a couple games, kind of right when they're going into the, the meat of their schedule, playing OU, Oklahoma State, and Iowa State to start the Big 12, did them no favors. Now that they've had him back, he, he's obviously kind of not only regained some health, but also just kind of getting that swagger back and the confidence in his leg to be healthy and be able to move and do what he needs to do. That's just the biggest thing. You know, it's, it's not a very, you know, complicated takeaway. Two biggest things are just the defense are playing better. They're being more consistent throughout the entire ball game and getting stops when they need them. And Skylar Thompson is just the it factor for this team. You know, when, when, when he goes, they go. And then you've got a, a weapon like Deuce Vaughn you can always toss to, hand the ball off to. It's a pretty simple game plan. It's a simple formula for K-State. But they don't shy away from it. And that's why they've been so good, so good the last four games. Four-game win streak for the Wildcats. Skylar Thompson, of course, a super, super senior at this point. He's been around for, for seemingly forever. Um, 
a great showing there from head coach Chris Kleiman and then that team down in Manhattan. Is that in considered cake land as well, Manhattan? It's, it's just outside of it. Uh, but, you know, just throughout Kansas, there's such an appreciation for KUK State and Wichita State in our area more so that we cover them all pretty much equally like they were our own. So, you know, it's been nice the entire time I've been here. I've got to cover Skylar Thompson. Um, I know he is a part of, you know, Colin Klein's recruiting class, basically. But uh, I don't know what it will be like next year without him. I guess we'll, we'll see how that goes. Future is interesting in Kansas State. But that's always a program that I've seen could perennially be kind of top 25, 20, win nine or 10 games. I think Bill Snyder changed the culture there so much that the expectation um, could be, you know, second place in the Big 12, but kind of finish in the top 25. Yeah, and I mean, going forward now, we have OU in Texas. Well, I mean, Texas, not necessarily a worry, as we just talked about, but you have OU leaving it. It kind of leaves that, that gap at the top. And I think, you know, for most years, it's looking like it's going to be between Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and K-State with, you know, a, a few surprises, maybe a Baylor, a good Baylor team, a good West Virginia team. But I think those schools, the last couple of years, at least when I've been here, I've been the most consistent. I've advocated on earlier episodes of my podcast that Baylor would be the perfect private school to slide into the SEC. If you were doing a draft, like a redraft from scratch, and you decided not to take Vanderbilt, that they would just be the, the perfect fit for the SEC, given what they've done the last several years. They've rebuilt the program three times in the last 10 years. Um, fantastic. But moving on, um, KU Hoops, University of Kansas Jayhawks, ranks number three to start the season. Um, I was surprised looking at the roster, the amount of depth that was returning between Ochai Abaji, Christian Brown, David McCormick, a really well-seasoned team. They didn't all just go to the NBA. Where do you expect the Jayhawks to finish their season? I mean, it, it really feels like a team. And, you know, after going to their media day, I think we're now two weeks ago, and the way they're talking about it, obviously it's always going to be positive that point of the year. But, I mean, anything less than a Final Four appearance is probably a failure for this team with the amount of talent they have. And, like you said, the amount of experience that they have. Because, you know, you add in a transfer like Remy Martin, you know, a perennial All-American. And, you like, you got all the guys you mentioned, Ochai Abaji, David McCormick, Christian Brown, um, Jalen Wilson back. Um, he'll rejoin the team soon, coming off suspension for a DUI. But they just have an abundance of talent. You know, their, their depth is pretty incredible. And, and I think the biggest – X factor for them is Ochai Abaji. You know, he's been through that NBA draft process twice now, I believe. And on any given night, there's never going to be someone as athletic with the talent that he has on the floor. You know, I think he arguably is within that realm, you know, kind of the, the best within the nation, even um, best on Kansas specifically. And you, know, you saw that in the opening game, how well he performed and, and on any given night, it could be any one of those guys to get it done. I think that's just what makes that team so special. Um, so I'm really interested to see just how good they are. And, and, you know, Bill Self had said it himself. They're not going to be in midseason form until they're in midseason. But like I said to begin this, anything less than a Final Four is, is more so, I would feel like, a failure for this team. As of the recording of this podcast, we're in a good spot. Every team that you cover in the state of Kansas basketball is undefeated, uh, including the Wichita State Shockers uh, head coach Isaac Brown led the team to an AAC title last year. Uh, what's the key to repeating that in the American this season? Yeah, I think we're kind of figuring that out so far. Obviously, the big name, which I state is Tyson Etienne. Went through that same draft process that we just talked about, and he looks primed to have another huge season. You know, I, I'm, 
as most of the nation saw that step back game winner from the logo in the first game kind of tells you everything you need to know about him and, and the skill he has and the confidence he has. But it's the guys around him. You know, it's uh, on that team, Dexter Dennis, Ricky Council, the fourth. Those two guys, I think, are huge pieces. Um, yeah, Council had a, a 19-point game yesterday, kind of led them to victory because Etienne was sick the day before, so he just really wasn't himself. Um, they're not the biggest team in the nation. You know, they 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 start a, their five is, you know, 6'9 on a good day. And, you know, they have one backup freshman who's played extremely well, Kenny Poto. But they're going to beat you with their athleticism. And so I think that's the biggest thing is, is you've seen throughout the first couple of games and in their exhibitions, they mix up their defenses a lot, a lot of full court press, switching to zone when they need to be. They're always going to, you know, hang their hat on being a strong defensive team. And I don't see that changing this year. I think if they can hold it down on that end of the ball and then you have, you know, at least one more score every day, it doesn't need to be the same person helping at the end. There's no reason that they can't hang with the Memphises and the Houston's of the conference. A good time for basketball in the state of Kansas, whether you're a recruit, whether you're a player, think an NBA. Uh, so great for ETN and, and Martin, especially, or Abaji, we mentioned, go through that draft process. Just great advertisement for the program. Uh, you're an LA guy, uh, big yeah. Dodgers fan. You're wearing the Dodgers hoodie right now. I am uh, repping. <laughs> repping the city, uh, city of angels. Uh, Dodgers came up short this past season, but you know, to the World Series champion, so not bad at all. Uh, people kind of get jealous of the Dodgers because they've got all this money to spend. They've got this pipeline of prospects coming through. It seems like they could meet all of their needs if they wanted to, because there's not really a hard salary cap in the MLB right now. Which areas would you want addressed this offseason, either in free agency or through trade? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, I mean, you saw it, and it's, again, kind of a cliche thing, but you can never have too much starting pitching. You know, Clayton Kershaw is a free agent. Trevor Bauer situation is an absolute mess. I don't think he's ever going to pitch in the MLB again. And so that's two starters down. Um, you have one other starter, Dustin May, who's coming off, um, you know, the Tommy John surgery. So you don't know when he's going to be back. Um, I think that's got to be the thing. You know, a lot of people have talked about so far kind of in Dodger free agency is, is all about Corey Seager. Are they going to bring him back? You know, they have Trey Turner, which is you know, not a terrible stop gap there at shortstop, but it's not bad at both those guys as well. But, it's always going to be the pitching. You know, when you look at the postseason, that's what made the Braves so good is just having that dominant bullpen and having some quality starts when they needed them. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing for me. I'd like to see the Dodgers maybe go out. You know, they already signed one arm, but can they get another, you know, really big splash? That would be huge. Um, and as you talked about with the money, you know, they, they are willing to spend the money. I think that's the biggest thing. You know, my family, like I said, both my parents are from Minnesota. Um, it's like I grew up partially a Twins fan as well and watch that franchise like be owned by, you know, a billionaire and not spend money. Like every MLB team can spend money. It's just that many people choose not to and choose to keep their money, which is, you know, it is what it is. If, if you're a fan, it's not great, but it is nice to see this new ownership group for the Dodgers actually go and spend the cash that they should. And like you said, people may get jealous about that kind of stuff, but uh, I mean, that's just kind of how it goes. And it, it, it's frustrating for sure. But uh, for the Dodgers fans, it, it's nice. <laughs> Suppose your GM or president of baseball ops, Andrew Friedman, mm-hmm. how much money do you shell out for Clayton Kershaw or, or Max Scherzer? Man, that's tough. I, I think they probably will shy away from Scherzer. Uh, I think next year Scherzer might be better than Kershaw, but Kershaw is just such a valued guy within the clubhouse. Um, it's hard to say, you know, coming off a deal where he's making upwards of $30 million, um, you know, he's not that same pitcher and he, his health issues are, are tough to go by. 
Um, if they could find a deal, you know, probably worthwhile for in the upper teens, low twenties, that would be elite. But I also, you know, you got to take into the fact that that Kershaw has his pride as well. And, you know, it's been pretty made pretty clear that Texas Rangers would be the team he wants to go to being from that area. Um, and if they're willing to give him more money, I don't think he would go for the money, but if, you know, the Dodgers can't put together a reasonable deal, you know, you got to understand that part of the business as well. Mm-hmm. Well, Sully, what else are you following right now? Man, you know, obviously NBA season is always in full swing. I always enjoy following along with that Lakers fan. Uh, is a, It's a weird time for them right now, but beyond that, just having basketball back, I think it's so much fun. And also, Partially frustrating, but partially enjoyable to watch how good the Warriors have been. I think that's kind of the big storyline. I've been following the NBA. One thing besides that, but. Yeah. Do you, I mean, you said you're a Lakers fan. Do you ever lean that way towards the Warriors just because NorCal, the dynasty they had there working for a little bit, do they ever appeal to you at all? No, like the opposite, pretty much. Uh, so <laughs> I think it was like when I went to college, you know, I'm from L.A., played at junior college and then went up to Chico state in 2013, fall of 2013. Um, and that was basically like the rise of the warriors and in the middle of the giants winning three world series in six years. And so I had always had more of a distaste for the giants being a rival and the warriors were always kind of like a little brother, you know, the Lakers had beat them so bad my entire lifetime that it wasn't something that we really thought about, but then having to live with and go to school with and be teammates with, majority Giants and Warriors fans. Um, having them be able to like rub the worst part of the Lakers is maybe franchise with the best part of the Warriors franchise in my face for a couple of years, just completely turned me off to anything about that. You know, I'm, I, I respect Steph Curry and I love watching him play, but I'm not a big Steph Curry fan. Love Clay Thompson though. I will say if there's one warrior who I do love, it's Clay and his boat and just everything about him. There's something about Clay Thompson and the, the likability factor. Um, I remember a friend of mine always shared the the toaster meme with him when he when he brought that toaster in the press conference. That was years ago. Um, yeah, yeah likable team. Yeah, I read a quote from Anthony Davis uh, regarding the Lakers uh, a few days ago, saying that you know we're not a title team yet. Kind of digging at his teammates. And as of recording this podcast right now, they're struggling with the Spurs right now. They brought in Russell Westbrook, a couple other guys over the offseason. Uh, what's been the struggle with it, with it gelling so far this season? Well, first off, I mean, you got to think about the injuries. Not just not having everyone out there, not being able to kind of have the ability to gel as a full roster is one thing. Um, but then going from there, they just haven't had – I think they've had one game this season where it kind of was the idea that they had to bring in Russell Westbrook. I'm like, you know – him and LeBron run this kind of like high pick and roll. And then you have an option there to whoever's going to kind of take it and attack the basket. And you have AD down low. You can lob it to him. You can kick it out to the shooters that they're supposed to have, but that just hasn't been able to be done yet. So it's hard to kind of really judge this team when they're just banged up and playing as bad as they are. But at the same time, like you only have 82 games to figure this whole thing out. So at a certain point you can't just be like, Oh, well, you know, they'll get it together when they need to, because the, the NBA is just about as balanced as it's ever been as far as West and East and the amount of good teams in each conference. So they got to really get it together soon. And I think that goes on kind of AD shoulders more than anything else, because man, he is the future of that franchise right now. And on any given night can be the best player in the NBA. We just don't always see that. The NBA perfectly balanced as all things should be. Uh, Sully, where can people find your work? Well, you know, I'm at Sully Engels on Twitter. 
Uh, that's probably where we find the majority of the work and some bad jokes along the way. Uh, on Instagram at Sullivan, which is S-U-L-L-E-E-V-A-N. And if you really are still on Facebook, my, my company has to post on there as well. So I do post on my professional Facebook page with Sully Angles too. So, and I guess you know, I, I'm starting a budding TikTok, you know, where I just kind of post my dog and some barbecue and some sports stuff here and there. So if you really want to find me on there, same handle as Instagram. I love how local news stations are still pushing Facebook in the year of our Lord, 2021. Isn't that something? Yeah, you, you know it and you love it. There's nothing like uh, engaging with some grandmas and moms of high school students on uh, some random posts. So, Grandmas from Plainville, Kansas. That's our demo. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all part of Cake Land either way. Mm. Well, from Cake Land, Sully Engels, thank you so much for joining Raw Tools. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. We'll wrap things up today with our Studio Soapbox College Football Playoff Rankings. Since it's such a small sample size, it's me, Coach Bo, Tyler Jones, and Thomas Bridges. We'll see these dramatic increases and decreases in team rankings, really giving you a feel for how we feel the college football top 25 should play out as of today. We'll start with the top six. Georgia, number one, obviously. Cincinnati at two, alone in that number two spot. They're undefeated. Oklahoma was tied with them at number two last week, but the Sooners are no longer. Alabama at three, Oregon at four, Ohio State at five, and Oklahoma State at six. I have a lot more to talk about next week with OSU. But moving on to some of the more eccentric choices and landing spots for the teams this week. Michigan State jumps four spots from 13 to 9. I did not have them on my ballot because they lost to an unranked Purdue team. Baylor jumps from 19 to 11. Oklahoma, having lost to Baylor, drops from 2 to 14. A 12-spot drop. Very dramatic. Wake Forest up from 16 to 12. That's a positive plus 4 in the rankings. Texas A&M lost to Ole Miss, goes from 10 to 17. And another wonderful jump. I had Arkansas in my top 25 last week. No one else did. The Hogs go from unranked in our studio soapbox poll to number 20 in the nation. You can see that entire studio soapbox poll on my social media accounts at Luke Slayball on Twitter and Instagram. And that was the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Sully Angles for calling in from Wichita, Kansas. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Raw Tools Podcast. See you next week.